Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Hey, Joe, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Two days to go. Day after tomorrow, we are into Radio Sod mode and so looking forward to it. Every last one of us in here, so looking forward to Radio Thon. We were broken hearts that we couldn't do it last year, but this year we're back with a bang. Back within the restrictions of COVID 19, of course, but back with a bang nonetheless. And here on the opinion line, we will be focusing solely on Radio Thon Thursday and Friday. Your opportunity to get involved in the show. If you've got something going on, now everything is virtual these days and everything is socially distanced and lots of stuff is on Zoom. And But doesn't matter, no matter what you're having, no matter how small the event, no matter what effort you're going to, let us know. Best way to do it is pop us a message at opinion at 96fm.ie, pop us an email. Or if you have something happening that maybe you could send us a bit of sound from, like a voice message. Record a voice message and bang that into us. And we'll just do whatever we can for you on Thursday and Friday. So the best way to contact us is the opinion at 96fm.ie email or indeed you can text to WhatsApp us at 0833969696. More on that as we go through the morning. Also, the news had the main headlines. All of the hospitals have issued individual statements again. Uh, they issued them last evening to run for today. Individual statements as to where we're going with regard to services in our hospitals uh, as this attempt continues to deal with the cyber attack on the HSE computer systems. Everything is still down. I read in one of last uh, this morning's papers there's 150,000 laptops alone. 80,000 desk-based computers, 150,000 laptops. Every single one of them has got to be checked and cleaned and made sure that there's no bad stuff left in it and there's no way in 
to the hackers to get in again. So think about that, 150,000 laptops and about 80,000 desk-based and office-based computers. It doesn't bear thinking about. And that's just the HSE. Remember, you've got to go to Tusla. They've got all their devices down as well. Tusla can't even use their phones to check their emails these days. It's, it's, it's just everything is completely locked down. So I'll go through all the detail from the hospitals in a little while. I also hope to talk to uh, security analyst Declan Power about where we go from here. The paper's full of it again this morning, full of different analysis, different predictions. Certainly the very idea of paying over ransom money has been kicked out of the park again by the government. They tell us at least the experts tell us, it will be tens of millions of euro to get the system up and running again. But we'll catch up with Decton Power on that a little bit later. And I will go through the detailed statements from the various hospitals as to what is happening and what is not happening this week. Let's go first, though, to Anne in Glanmire. Um, you know, the, the, the bigger problems you have are the ones in your own house. Hi there, Anne. Hi there. What's going on, girl? Oh, everything. <laughs> We have um, two schools facing us, and one of them is getting worked on it. Mm-hmm. And so we are afraid we're rats. Oh, God. This is down in Denmark? Denmark, yeah. Brook Lodge Grove. I know the place. Yeah. And, there's and it's, work being done on the schools at the moment, yeah? And they're, they're work doing, they're taking up trees and everything. But we have rats in the wall facing us, a little wall, stone wall. There's holes in them, you can see them going into it. Yeah. But these rats come out and they're not afraid of anyone. You can be out on the green with them and they just come out and they run around. Yeah. Now, I'm afraid they'll come over here, over to this side of the road, that's where I live, and um, get into the house or somewhere, you know. And then there's kids here, which you can't put down poison or anything for them. Mm. You know, and there's dogs, I know, but the dogs seem to be afraid of them. You you had your grandchildren around at the weekend. Yeah, I had my grandchildren over to see me, and we were out in the garden. And um, one of them said, "I see something over there. Is that a bird?" And then we looked, and it was one of the rats running from tree to tree. And we wouldn't let. We were told by one of the county, the council workers, not to let the children out on the green because it's dangerous. Like if they drop something. They eat it or they yeah. pick it up, like you know. wheels disease. Yeah, yeah. So um, they were out and they looking at us and couldn't believe us. Huge big rat. It's kind of browny black color, yeah. and it running around the place. So we we brought all them in <laughs> for life. They're horrible buggers, like they're horrible. Yeah. Then there was, there was two men uh, cutting the grass. They had a big mower, like you know them big things, and um, one of them knocked at the door and said, like, you know, have you children? And we said, no. Like, I said, no, I had no children. My son was here. And um, they said, there's a rat on the, the green out there. He said, he's not afraid of me. He's just looking at me. And he said, I was sitting up in the cab, and I kept going up towards him. He kept sitting there. And then I went back. And I went back up a good bit, and he got out and came over to us then. And I said, yeah, they're in. They're in. You can see them going into these holes in the wall. Mm. You know? And is there a little stream anywhere nearby? It's the river down. Yeah, I was thinking that. That is your problem, you see. It's the river. They live around the river, around the banks of the river. And obviously, it looks as if the the disturbance of the ground is what brought them up. It is, has, yeah. 
would like something should be done. The county council should come and out, or city council should come out and do something. Did you call them? We did. Tired called them. I called them three times in the morning. The first one told me they were closed for the day. Second one didn't answer me. The third one put me on hold and then turned off. Right. So then that's when I rang you. Yeah. Rang your office. You know, it's, it's ridiculous, really. And if you look out the window in the morning, you can see them outside. Yeah. My neighbour seen four of them running along the wall. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the river's always been there and we never had a problem. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just now. It's the disturbance of the ground. You disturb their nest and disturb where they normally live and sleep. Now, the chances are, you see, Anne, that they're probably very used to human form. Like, they don't know one human from another, but they're very used to human forms. They're not afraid of us, which means they're probably not dangerous to us in any way. But they're dirty creatures, and you don't want them around. Yeah, that's what I'd be afraid of. They'd come over to children or anything, like, you know. Yeah, because Wheels disease is a huge problem. It's a horrible, horrible disease, and it's it's very bad in children as well. So, and anywhere that rats are, they just piddle as they go, like. So yeah, they leave yeah. Wheels disease everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Everywhere, yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering, does the council have any kind of a rodent control unit or officer? I haven't a clue. They're not answering anything. Yeah. You know, I suppose... Well, they still have to get the work done, I suppose. But this man now that was doing the, the grass got his two friends from around the other side and they came around were trying to decide what to do. And then they went, so I figured they would tell when they went back to the office they would put in a report about it. But we haven't heard anything or nobody has come out like Yeah. Yeah. The big the big worry as well is get they'll get into the house. Yeah, I'd be afraid of that. Now I have electronic things all and each plugged in for rats and mice and everything, like, always had. Yeah. And um, so far, nothing. But, you know, like, they're getting to be outside all the time, like, you know. Yeah. I can see them from my house, like, the rats over there, and they're walking around, and they're running around the place. Yeah, yeah. You know? you, we're just getting back to, you think they're coming out of holes... In the wall. In the wall. And yeah. the, the wall's been taken down, has it? No, no, this is little wall... Facing our estate, there's two schools, you see. Yes. And then there's across the road, there's our estate, and there's a little wall yeah. built like stones. Yeah, yeah. But there's a few stones gone out of different places. Now, I've seen them going back into the wall. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's them. They're, they're heading for their nest at that yeah. stage. So <sighs> you wouldn't know what to do. To be interesting to know, is there such a thing as a rodent or pest control unit within council? And, and if there is, what are they willing to do? Do, yeah. yeah. They be- won't put down poison because there's kids and there's dogs. Yeah. You know, so they wouldn't put them down in case the kids get at it. Yeah. And, and my daughter then offered to bring up a box for them, but that's the same. Kids would be curious what the box was and yeah. would lift it up, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. And if anyone can... Give us an indication of where you might go from here, or if there's anybody of your local councillors listening that might be able to help, um, certainly they can contact us. That's Anne Mooney in Glenmire and Brook Lodge. Have you seen the rats around Brook Lodge? They've seen that the big dirty brown guys. And these fellas, I have a wheelie bin, one of our wheelie bins, one of the first wheelie bins we ever got. We had a problem with a rat, ah, yonks ago in Coogan Towers and our beloved old dog Herbie eventually chased the bugger away but one night he got trapped in the wheelie bin I I know not how I think the bin might have been open 
and he could have got in, climbed up and got in, and the thing slopped, you know, closed down on top of him. He ate a hole through the lid of the bin. And if you don't believe me, I'd actually take a photograph and show you. We have a, a bin with a little hole in it, and you can see to this day where he ate his way out of the bin. So they're, they're, they're ruthless. Ruthless. 1850 Let us check up what is happening in our hospitals. The news carrying the, the headline details. There's a lot of helplines, a lot of access points, and we'll try and summarise it for you next. 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. It was right at the height of the pandemic, so kind of getting to a doctor or anything wasn't, wasn't the easiest thing in the world. You go into, you know, the breast cancer clinic in CUH and you walk in, you're the only guy in there other than the doctors. And they say, you know, you're going for a mammogram and you kind of think, okay... I knew within, I'd say, kind of a minute of being there that um, there was something up. Oh, I will hold on to the afterglow. The Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Listen Thursday from 6 a.m. on Corks 96 FM. The situation with the HSE continues to be very serious. Yesterday morning, um, we were hearing predictions that this could take weeks rather than days. Last evening, we were told it would cost tens of millions to put this right. The numbers of devices involved are in telephone numbers. There's 150,000 laptops in the HSE alone. Never mind your Tusla. Uh, that's also knackered at the moment. But HSE, 150,000 laptops, 80,000 desk-based computers. And they've all got to be cleaned out, virtually individually. Virtually individually. As Ronan Murphy told us yesterday morning from Smart Tech, you practically have to shut everything down and then re-establish every single one of them, virtually one by one, to make sure that you get where the problem is and you eliminate it. We've also learned that so much of the HSE is still operating on Windows 7. We learned also yesterday from Simon Woodworth in UCC the ridiculous, ridiculously low level of money being spent in HSE on computers and computer security. So we've got serious problems here. Caller says if they had a proper backup system, then it should not be that big a deal. You don't need a lot of expertise to know that. Is that the reason they're not having a press conference? Because they'd be subject to questioning. Well, maybe they don't also have time for a press conference. That might be the thing. Although what is interesting is that the HSE senior figures, they all turn up on the RTE News. They all turn up on National. But you'll never get a senior figure from HSE on any of the independents. Very few. Very few of them. That's just a by the by. Let's go through the hospitals because they've all got statements out, starting with CUH, where they say there will be no radiotherapy treatment in CUH today, Tuesday. There's also an information line for anyone needing radiotherapy uh, set up. Now, they have a number or a series of numbers. So they've got 432, these are 021s, 432 4774. 
432-4774 or double seven five or double seven six or double seven seven. So if you get the basic number, it's 021-4234-774. And if you can't get through there, try 775, 776 or 777. If you're concerned about radiotherapy, you have an appointment, you don't know what to do. Then patients with outpatient appointment or chemotherapy appointment or surgery appointment, well, you should come to the hospital at your appointed time unless they contact you to cancel. However, if your appointment is for an X-ray, the opposite is the case. Don't attend for X-ray unless they contact you and tell you to come in at CUH. The emergency department is open, but they have asked that you be understanding there may be some delay and also that you only come to the ED with a genuine emergency. So there's two types of instruction for people with appointments. If it's outpatients, chemo, surgery, come unless you're told not to. But if it's an x-ray, don't come unless they contact you. And if it's to do with radiotherapy, we know how many people are undergoing radiotherapy at CUH. The number again for them is 423-4774 or 775 or 776 or 777. Moving to the Mercy, and again, all patients with a scheduled appointment from today until Friday need to contact the hospital before they come in. Now, they've got a series of numbers. Central Appointments Office for Outpatients is 021-4935657. A lot of numbers here, so if you had an old Pion Louis and a piece of pop air, it might help. And I might do it again later on just to reiterate it, but piece of pop air and a Pion Louis are you know, the new way, open up your phone and put it in. Central appointments, outpatients at the Mercy, 21 If you're due to be an inpatient at any stage soon or a day case, then you ring 4935225 or 4935308. So that if you're supposed to go into hospital, either for a couple of days or a day or whatever, if you're expected to go into hospital this week, you need to contact them at 21 4935 or 021-4935308. And if you do radiology, you need to contact them. Mercy are saying contact us before you come near us. CUH is a bit different, but Mercy is saying before you come near us, contact us. And their radiology numbers are 4935275 or 4935277. And for the rest of the week, all x-ray appointments are cancelled unless they ask you to come in. And there's no processing of bloods from GPs. Only emergency blood tests will be processed. That is the mercy. I know this is long-winded, but in the interest of public information, we're, we're giving it a few minutes. The COMH issued a statement last evening at half four. All gynecological clinics, all gyne clinics cancelled this week. Also, online classes cancelled until further notice. You might ask why that is, because they, those computers are affected too. The emergency department at COMH remains open. Phone call bookings going ahead. Now, 
The following are going ahead this week, but there could be delays. In fact, they're highly likely to be delays, but the following are all going ahead. If you're due to be induced, if you're due to have a C-section, if you're due to have an elective operation, antenatal physiotherapy, neonatology outpatients, they're all going ahead. But delays are likely as a result of the IT situation. So if you're hanging, as it were, and you're supposed to be induced this week, you will be induced this week. If they gave you an appointment, go in. Same with a C-section or an elective operation. They are happening, but it could be delayed. And that's the latest from CUMH. Bantry Hospital had a number, a customer contact number, which changed a couple of times yesterday. Um, So we'll try and get the updated one and let you know what they're doing down in Bantry. They had a number. Uh, Kieran says it's important to not blame the HSE or staff for so-called upgrades. People must understand this is caused by criminals who will face prison. No one's to blame except those scumbags. Well, whether they'll face prison is anybody's guess. I sincerely doubt it. But I take your point, Kieran. It's not the individual staff's fault. Not at all. Someone was using their computer in an ordinary, everyday fashion, and this got in. And what we know, what we know is that some of the computer systems in our HSE are updated. Are out of date, sorry, out of date. Some severely out of date. Like Windows 7. Is anybody even using that anymore? Unless it's on a computer that's been sitting in an office for years doing nothing else. Uh, Call wants to know, did Robert Watt inform Paul Reed as soon as the Department of Health attack happened? Also, yes, that is worth pointing out, and thank you, Fergal. The HSE would have a special license. Uh, Windows 7 is obsolete now, but you can purchase a special license to get continued upgrades for Windows 7. That's a valid point. But you'd still wonder why a health service is operating on about, what is it, four, three, three or four Windows back, if you get what I mean. Like, why isn't it on Windows 10? Uh, we've all had to change to Windows 10 in here. It's a bit awkward when you have to, to be honest with you, because it's a whole new learning going on, but it works, and it works very well, but it does have enough, but still some of our systems are very old where did it get in, how did it get in, what do you do now we'll, we'll follow that one as we go on WhatsApp so now all of our private medical information will show up online, they have to pay the hackers in my opinion, then make damn sure this never happens again, I'm so upset and sad that we as a country are so distracted with our day to day feck ups by our government we can't see what's in front of our faces. The thing about private medical information and reading and very and listening very carefully this morning, all that we know, there's no one suggesting at this point that Mary O'Sullivan's medical file is out there on the internet or, or John Murphy's medical file or PJ Coogan's medical file or Terry Brennan's medical file. There's no one suggesting that they're out there at the moment. What we do know is that people... Specialists who can scan the dark web, believe me. Actually, with regard to the web, you might not know this, but you know the way you open up your computer and you search Google and you search the internet? That's about 10% of the flipping web-like. The dark web is 
multi-layered. There are people, professionals, who can look at it. It seems that there is some information on the dark web, but it's not individual. It doesn't say, for example, that Johnny Sullivan has cataracts and needs an operation. It doesn't. But they can see that there is information being traded around the dark web. What, what that information is, we do not know at this stage. There's a lot more to learn, and we'll learn much more uh, later in the morning. Says Column. Oh, I love these condescending texts. Windows 7 is probably the most stable Windows operating system at the moment. You obviously don't know what you're talking about. Windows 8 was discontinued. Yes, I know. It was a disaster. There is no Windows 9. Yes, I know. Windows 10 is the current one. And in the case of the HSE, the cost of updating to 10 would be enormous, as all the peripherals, not to mention the software, would also need to be updated, says Colm. Thank you, Colm. Thank you, Colm, for stating the bleeding obvious. We know that. In fact, yesterday, when uh, Dr. Woodward from UCC was on, he was making the point that we're spending a fraction of what we should be spending in an agency the size of the HSE on IT upgrade, security upgrade, and IT and security control. A fraction of it. If it would cost a fortune to upgrade to Windows 10, then you pay a fortune and you upgrade to Windows 10. That is what you do. Yes, you can get, you can get the new patches and you can get the new upgrades for Windows 7. You can buy them. But do you not honestly think, and maybe I'm just stupid here, but is it a case that um, the 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 you know the, the the blatantly obvious. If you're buying Windows Seven patches from Microsoft to keep yourself up to date, do you not think that the hackers know how to get around that too? You have to stay ahead of them. But thank you, Colin. We're not spending enough on IT. That's the every professional and every analyst in the business is suggesting. We're not, and saying straight out, we're not spending enough on IT security. Bantry General Hospital, I got that number. Uh, their patient advice number is open from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it's 86 78 All right, that's 86 78 If you're query is for Bantry General Hospital. I'm asked to go through the mercy numbers again. And look, I don't... I know this is a bit long-winded, all of that. But we have to do it in the interest of the of public information and public health. So the Mercy Hospital's outpatients department, if you need to contact them, if you're due to have an outpatients procedure at the Mercy, 021-4395-657. 021 4395 Five, seven. If you're due to have an inpatient or a day case, in other words, if you're due to go to hospital, 021 or 4935-308. 4935-308. Those are if you have to go into hospital, if you're due to go into hospital for anything, you're in those numbers. And radiology, 021-49-35275. 021-49-35275 or 4935-277. 4935-277.
0818-2377. I don't propose to read them out anymore, but look, people are panicking, particularly if you're supposed to go into hospital this week. I think the Mercy Hospital are saying, if you're supposed to go in, ring us. If you're supposed to come into us for anything, ring ahead. If you have a scheduled appointment, this is their statement from yesterday, a scheduled appointment from today till Friday, make contact with the hospital. Just to get that number again, the Mercy, the Bantry General, 86 787 We've also got all the numbers now on the 96FM website in the news section of the 96FM website, www.96fm.ie and go to news and all of the numbers are carried there right now. Where am I going? Oh yeah, I'll take a break and then we'll talk about having to go, trying to go to out for outdoor dining when you can't actually see where you're going. Next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. We've read so much in the last week, couple of weeks and months, about pedestrianisation of the city streets. We know that a lot of them are being pedestrianised. It was done quick, smart. And we're looking forward, every single one of us, to the 7th of June when we can go and have lunch, hopefully by then in a bit of early summer sunshine, have a bit of lunch or a drink outdoors in the city. And it was great last year. It was great fun, great, great crack. And when the weather was nice, sure, you might as well be anywhere. But we take the sheer ease of doing that a little bit for granted. What if you can't actually see? Now, Jessie Whelan from Cork is Policy and Campaigns Officer with NCBI. And she's asking business owners and public bodies like the council just to be aware of the hurdles of outdoor dining for somebody with sight loss. She has severe sight loss herself and she uses a cane. NCBI has a Change Your View campaign um, running at the moment. And I've been chatting with Jess just about the challenges of going to eat in Princess Street or somewhere like that when you can't actually see very much. We're all looking forward to opening up and being able to go to, say, Princess Street or anywhere like that for for an outdoor lunch or, or dinner. There are problems that we don't see. Absolutely, PJ. Um, and, you know, I suppose just first of all, don't get me wrong, I'm as excited as anyone else to go out and sit down, you know, on Princess Street and have my cocktail and have my dinner outside, meet my friends, try and get back to a bit of normality. But I suppose one thing that hasn't been thought of really, I suppose, is how this outdoor dining, how this kind of, you know, shared spaces and, and this new pedestrianisation might affect people with sight loss. Um, like from your own point of view, what can you see? So I actually get asked that question a lot, PJ. Um, I suppose it's hard for me to explain because I don't know what a fully sighted person can see. But how I explain it is that, you know, if I'm if I'm trying to, to meet a friend, 
you know, I won't see that friend in a crowd. I'll nearly have to be up on top of them before I'll know it's them. In a, in a doctor's office, I'll see the top letter on the eye chart and that'll be it. So as you can imagine then, you know, a lot of the time when I'm walking the streets of Cork City that I'm well used to walking, I've been walking since I was a child, I do that, yes, using my cane, but I also do it with a certain amount of familiarity. Mm. You know, I could tell you where all the steps are on Patrick Street if you wanted. Um, so I suppose that's that's kind of one thing. Streets that I would have used before have totally changed their landscape to me. Mm. I mean, I might as well be climbing up a mountain because there's chairs, tables. Nobody's saying that, there should, that they shouldn't be there. Mm. It's just that, you know, you need to be mindful of all I, I suppose of all pedestrians of all abilities like personalise it yes so, so I decide to meet you for coffee in Princess Street and, and I'm down outside say at Clancy's waiting for you as you come to get to me what are, what are the hurdles you face yeah so I, I'm going to meet you outside Clancy's um, so usually what I would do if there was no seating outside is I would walk down through the actual street of Princess Street I would walk down on the road because number one my path is clear and number two I'll find it easier because I suppose when I'm focusing on you I can't focus on what's directly in front of me like what's on the floor in front of me and that's why a lot of the time even any time my friends have met me in town if it's a pedestrianised street that doesn't have anything on the actual roadside I will walk on the road it's an awful lot easier for me Um, but I suppose now that we're looking at you know the pedestrianisation of it and the uh, the outdoor dining I now have to decide whether I'm going to try and focus on you know the blur in front of me that I that I can recognise as PJ or the tables and chairs in front of me the sandwich boards the handbags and shopping bags that people obviously leave down next to the table I do it myself so I now have to make a decision between whether I focus on you, whether I focus on what's directly in front of me. Um, and even even when I'm focusing on what's directly in front of me with tables and chairs and that, I still run the risk of, you know, catching my cane in something. Because you can't watch ahead of you and keep an eye on what's around you at the same time, like like I can't say. No, no, not at all. I, I, I can't do that. Um, that's that's part of the sight loss condition that affects me. I suppose on top of that as well, part of the condition as well is that I, I'm i unable to focus the way that people can focus in general because I have an involuntary movement, an involuntary movement in my eye, which also makes it difficult for, for depth perception. So even if I'm focusing on what's on the ground, like I could end up half the ways across the road from you because... I have no depth perception, so even even the edges of tables actually catch me a lot because because of that depth perception, I don't realise how close I am to them. And mm. um, I suppose, obviously, look, social distancing as well has been a huge difficulty during COVID, and um, because I I can't tell the distance of of, of two 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 meters, um, I can't judge it. You know, even things like um, Princess Street last year, you had to walk down one side of the footpath and walk up on the other footpath. But PJI couldn't do that because the signs were on the ground, but I couldn't read the signs on the ground because I, I genuinely couldn't make them out. Um, so obviously then I, I it had happened a few times that I walked up a footpath that someone that you were supposed to be using to walk down and, and people really weren't happy about it. Mm. So obviously we all welcome and you have welcomed the idea of having the outdoor dining. You work with the NCBI. Like, is there a situation where the NCBI would work with the council, work with the restaurateurs to, to actually say, right, 
brilliant idea, but let's work together. Let, let, let's plan it this way. They absolutely would. You know, obviously, as the National Sight Loss Agency in the state, I mean, they, they're constantly making submissions um, whenever government consultations come up for these things, when local authority consultations. I mean, they have a fantastic group of, of sight loss advocates around the country as well that I'm sure the council have heard from about this issue um, on more than one occasion. But I suppose... Sometimes in this country, the way things are done in a haphazard manner, you know, I mean, even with the outdoor dining, it was a case of, you know, oh, yeah, the outdoor dining is fine. We leave the restaurants, do how they see fit. I mean, that's very unfair to put that kind of responsibility on a local business where you're saying, oh, just just kind of do your own thing with it. There's no uniformity to it. And it's like it's not that nobody's against outdoor dining it's just that it needs to be done in, in an inclusive way that like you know and I'm sure the restaurateurs agree with this as well um, like they want to be inclusive for all their customers for the rest of us as well then how can we help you as in someone you're coming into Princess Street I'm not picking them out but this is the most best known <laughs> one you come into Princess Street how can those of us who can see be aware of those who can't and maybe help them a bit it's actually quite simple when I say it out loud and you know even when people think about it they'll probably think god I never thought of that so I suppose the first thing is you know the verbal communication if you think if you think um, one of your customers or like just another member of the public really might need a bit of help just verbalise it you know oh excuse me um, did you know that this is a one way system so you walk on the right side you, you walk down the street on the left side you walk up the street something small like that if you're directing someone to a table you know it's okay to walk in front of them ask them if they need assistance and then and then kind of verbally say you know okay we're going to the left here we're going to the right the chair is on your left the chair is on your right um in terms of businesses as well what's really useful is that if they've had to rejig the layout of their premises we'd absolutely encourage them to make those instructions available online so that you know planning your journey down to you know even inside a premises is a big part of life for someone with sight loss um and i suppose as well look we would have specific recommendations um our advocacy and the accessibility uh, teams within the ncbi work really hard constantly throughout the year on uh, recommendations of you know even spaces to leave between tables and chairs Things like, you know, advertising signage, you know, because I suppose, look, that's another issue when... And and that's just a general issue as well, trip, I suppose. Trip hazards they, affect everybody, but they affect you worse, more, more so. They do. Like, you know, trip hazards are a huge thing. And I suppose as well, when signage is hanging off the side of something, if if there's, you know, when you know when you have... When businesses have the canopies out, sometimes the outsides of those stick out. I mean, the cane will tell me what's on the floor, but it won't tell me what's at, what's at eye level or what's what's at the level of my head. And, and it has happened in the past where I have walked into bars sticking out of things you know um, so I suppose that's just something just to be very mindful of and I suppose the NCBI has a website that anybody can tap into and maybe get a few tips things we wouldn't know oh yeah absolutely I mean if they need any additional information they can just email campaigns at ncbi.ie the NCBI website has all the information. We have a full access team that is glad to sit down with any business and go through their particular needs in terms of their business, but also in terms of their customers. And I suppose the other thing with the Change Your View campaign, PJ, is it's not just, I suppose, look, it is focused on people with sight loss. But, you know, these things affect people with reduced mobility, people who have buggies, you know, so it's it's like shared spaces now are going to be a big part of our lives going forward. So it's, it's just important that we're inclusive of everyone. Campaigns at ncbi.ie.
if you want more information, or 1850-334353. There's an easy one. 1850-3343-53. For more information on the NCBI's uh, Change Your View campaign, 1850-715-996. Do you know what I was going to do? I must mention this. I got some news there this morning. Uh, my old friend Dino Cregan of Dino's Restaurants, big chain of them around Cork City and, of course, down into Kinsale, into the county. I read that Dino is expanding. Dino is headed for the Desha. Uh, Dino has been given permission, granted permission, to open a restaurant in Dungarvan in County Waterford. That will bring it, is it to eight or nine? I always try to struggle whether it's eight or nine or seven or what it is, but it's a fine chain anyway. So Dino is expanding into the Desha. The Desha doesn't know what's ahead of it. The Desha has never seen food like this before. Good luck to Dino and all the crew as they head for Dungarvan in County Waterford. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I'm on to you once again. If you've anything that you'd like us to tell Cork about that you're doing for Radiothon this Thursday, Friday and Saturday, email it to us, opinion at 96FM.ie and let us know what you're at. And we'll be here Thursday and Friday in Radiothon mode, just like the whole radio station goes into Radiothon mode from 6 a.m., to 6pm on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and we'll be doing an opinion line and a purely and entirely based on Radiothon as we always do Thursday and Friday so if you've something happening be it an event or a fundraiser or if you're just shaking a bucket somewhere or shaking a socially distanced bucket a hand sanitised bucket whatever you're doing a virtual bucket let us know what you're at opinion at 96fm.ie and we'll help you to tell everybody else. I have a story coming up for you this hour. I found out last evening, I didn't know this, the first ever incidence of ransomware that's on record happened over 30 years ago. You wouldn't believe it. Over 30 years ago. And it was connected with, of all things, AIDS. I kid you not. I'll give you that story a little bit later on. On the subject of rats and Anne's grief with the rats that she told us about at the very top of the programme, John Maher, Councillor John Maher was on. He said he will put in a call to see if anything can be done. And uh, Councillor Kieran McCarthy says HSE is responsible for rodent control in public areas. City Council responsible for rodent control in social housing. HSE contact is at 4921801 so thank you for that councillor Kieran McCarthy and councillor John Maher heard Anne's plea for help if you like to to control the rats in Brook Lodge in Glenmire uh, here's a clever idea uh, a business a cork business working 
with a leading scientist to operate as safely as is humanly possible now that we are all reopening to hopefully reopen for the very last time and stay open and get out of this blasted pandemic and stay out of it. Some very simple advice coming from Professor John Wenger at UCC. John joins me again. John, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. It's been a while, sir. Now, you've been working with Nora Cronin from Head to Toe Hair Salon in Princess Street. We'll talk to Nora in just a sec. But your advice to everybody in any kind of a business is open the doors and open the windows. Exactly, PJ. Let the fresh air in. Um, you know, I think everybody knows at this stage that the virus is mainly spread indoors and outside is best. And so that's what we're doing. We're advising people to bring the outside air in. And the reason is because the virus is spread through the air. When we breathe, when we talk, tiny particles come out of our mouth, okay? And in an infected person, these particles contain the virus. These particles are small enough to move around, right? Now, outside, it's no problem, okay? Because the, the wind can blow them away, disperse them. But indoors, um, especially if there's poor ventilation or no ventilation, these particles can just build up in concentration. It's like cigarette smoke in a, in a, in a, in a closed room. Mm. And anybody else in that room could potentially be infected, okay? So they can spread throughout the room. It's not just the two meters, they can spread throughout the room. And so what we're saying really is that ventilation is important for clearing the air and for flushing out the virus. It's actually a very good analogy that you make with cigarette smoke. If there's a, a, a cigarette butt smouldering, shall we say, in an ashtray at one side of the room and the room isn't properly ventilated, that smell will permeate the room. But if you open the window or open the door, it'll believe it at least. That's it. It's as simple as that. And it's some of these older measures I've talked on the show before about, um, you know, the, 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 the Irish mammy or whatever, opening the windows and doors and letting the fresh air in. You know, that is a great form of medicine. That's a great way to prevent uh, spread of, especially respiratory diseases like COVID. Because the myth was, oh, don't open the window, you'll get a cold. Actually, no, you probably won't. It's the other way around. It's, it's probably the other way around. You're right. Might feel cold, but you won't. You won't get a cold. So, so you gave Nora a little gadget. First of all, how did you come to be in contact with her? Uh, we live in McCroom. We so we know each other. We're friends, and I know Nora's a hairdresser. And um, we just bumped into each other in Duns. Asked her how's it going, and she was delighted to be back. Um, so I said, uh, you know, all the safety measures and so on, and, she, and ventilation. She knows that like, I'm doing stuff on that, and. Um, I, I came up with the idea of measuring or assessing ventilation in her salon. So um, I use a small carbon dioxide monitor to measure, not really to measure directly, but to me- measure ventilation rates. It's actually really quite complicated because there's lots of air moving around all the time. It's quite a complicated problem. But you get a good idea from the level of CO2 in the air, all right? And it's because human beings, uh, all creatures actually breathe out CO2. Mm. And uh, in a ventilated area, the CO2 uh, can drop down to levels that are similar to outside, which is about 400 parts mm. per million. In a poorly ventilated area, it can rise up to thousands. All right? Say in a classroom with all the doors and windows closed, for example, over right, 20 kids breathing out for an hour, you get several thousand. Mm. And above about 1,000 parts per million, the, um, the concentration of CO2 can actually affect uh, co- cognitive performance. It affects concentration, makes people drowsy. So we know that we need to control the air in the room. And the CO2 monitor gives us a great indicator to do that. So I gave Nora one of these. Okay. And where does she put it in the salon? Um, so I just said you need to place it away 
from uh, people, so maybe one or two metres away from people is sufficient. Obviously, we don't, be, don't want to be breathing on it because it's very sensitive to our breath. Um, and, and just to carry on your normal daily activities. And it takes a reading uh, every minute, and you can see the number. And the guide was that, you know, 400 is clean air outside. If you get to about 800, then that's a little warning sign that you should improve the ventilation by opening a door or window. Mm. And how quickly, like, if you had the window closed and using and, and operating, a, say, a hair salon, how, how quickly would you get from the 400 safe level to 800? Be careful. How, how quickly? Okay, well, in our test, I think Nora actually had the window open. I think she didn't want to risk it. I think she wants a comfortable environment and a safe environment for her customers. Um, but with one window open and with one customer and Nora, even the CO2 level starts to rise. Within half an hour, we were approaching 800 part per million, which is the trigger point. Um, and then Nora decided she needed more ventilation. She opened the door, and within minutes, that dropped back down to outside levels of a, of a, of a CO2. Correct. So if you... So it's a very, very rapid change, and it's just a very simple action of opening the door yeah. as well as the window. A, b- a bit of simple science, then, John, in one minute as to why why does that happen? Because is it because it is it heavier than air and it drops, and does it move out on the air or what? Uh, carbon dioxide moves around in air. It's a gas molecule floating around the air like oxygen and nitrogen, and basically, once you have a flow of air into the window, out through the door, or the other way around, it doesn't matter. Once you have a flow of air then you can really just, the fresh air will just simply dilute yeah. it. It'll so, it out. so still air, right, right, gotcha, I gotcha. All right, yeah, we'll bring Nora in. Air. We'll bring Nora in at this stage. Uh, Nora, um, this little monitor, you just keep an eye to it and, and off you go. Good morning. Yeah, hi, good morning, PJ. Yeah, it literally, I'd say, it wasn't, didn't even take minutes for it to go down to the 400s. It took literally seconds when I opened the door. So obviously the cross-ventilation, you know, it's probably the most simplest of things to yeah. do, and it's like a, it's just a, applying a practical common sense approach to keep you in a place well aired. But you know, it works straight away. Because yeah. we're all it's being really told how going. important it is to keep things ventilated, and there you were able to see your little monitor, and it went down, like you said, literally what, a few seconds? Within, I'd say, four or five seconds. Crikey. Yeah, it was that quick. Wow. Literally, oh. yeah. Wow. So I just give you the reassurance, you know, that it's working and that the place is safe and you're doing the best that you can, you know. Brilliant. How many people are you able to have in the salon at one time? I'm able to have about three. Right. Right. And you have plenty yeah. you have you plenty doors and windows to open? I have, yeah. Good, good. But it just makes a difference if they're kind of on opposite ends like I have, you know, it's just the cross, the cross ventilation is the thing, really. Very important, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm just, I think it's, it's nice on a, on a lovely morning like this, but yesterday afternoon you wouldn't, you'd have been a bit knackered. No, I know. <laughs> but you know what, you don't have to even have it open that wide, you can just have it ajar, it still works. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic that you're all back open. I, I guess, are, are you inundated? Yes, it's great. It's, like last week was really busy, this week has kept going, but it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, going back to normal after that a bit, everybody's heavy done at the same time. But no, it's fantastic to be back and see all the wonderful clients and yeah. having the chats and the laughs again. No, it's fantastic. Yeah, so so important to be able to get open now and stay open. And simple, oh, simple things like this are so important. Yeah, it's just the simplest of things, exactly. Okay. Stay there, Nora. For John, how much are these little monitors? Are they expensive things? Can I buy them in a hardware store? Yeah, the, okay, so um, no, you can't just run down to the Duns or a hardware store and buy one. Um, there are providers in Ireland. They're mainly used 
for people that uh, operate buildings or want to measure these sorts of things. So it's mm. not an everyday thing, but although it's become much more popular now because of the awareness yeah. Uh, of the uh, indoor air. No, because I'm thinking, like, are, I mean, are they are they as affordable as, say, a smoke alarm or a carbon monoxide sensor? They're a bit more expensive than that, PJ. So the one that we use there is actually 200 euro. Right. Okay. Now, I, I, I bought that to test it out, and I actually recommended schools in McCroom to buy them last August, um, and they've been using them actually uh, very successfully. You know, all about the schools and the open windows and doors and ventilation. Yeah. Um, that's been great. Uh, but I think it's important to get the message out there now to businesses that, um, you know, certainly cross-ventilation is the key, open door, open window. And if you want to, and I think especially in places that have a large number of people, if you think more people, more carbon dioxide, mm. um, they need to make sure... Um, that uh, your environment is as safe as possible, and the CO two monitor is a worthwhile investment. You Excellent. Know? Uh, There's a business opportunity. <laughs> There's a business opportunity yeah, yeah. for a builder, providers, or some hardware chain here to start stocking these things. There certainly is. John, thank you very much, Professor John Anger, Professor of Chemistry at UCC, and Nora Cronin from Head to Toe Hair Salon in Princess Street, using this monitor that John supplied to her. So eight hundred is the danger level. 800, you have a bit too much CO2 in the room, and if you have too much CO2 in the room, you could have a bit of COVID in the room. Open the door, and she said, in seconds, in seconds, it went whoosh, way down again to a safe level of 400. There's a business opportunity there for somebody to start stocking and selling these things to businesses. Because it sounds like a great idea. You can open whatever, whatever kind of a business, whatever kind of a business, Whatever kind of a place, whatever kind of a room. Put it up on the wall. And if it shows 400, you're grand. And if it starts to climb towards 800, open the door, open the window. Keep the window and door open if you can. And it'll, it'll cascade back down to 400 and safe levels in second. Seconds. 1850 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Sorting out your shopping today, a 300 euro voucher for Aldi could be yours and all the biggest tunes to fly you through Tuesday afternoon. See you straight after the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. This weather is compared to yesterday's weather. There chatting to, to Nora uh, Waterford Whispers are very funny people as you know now a lot of the stuff they put out on their social media is just unbroadcastable and, and that's okay too, it's funny but they've tweeted this morning <laughs> a weather forecast it says delays caused by the Brexit supply chain issues mean Ireland's summer is delayed in the ports for the next six weeks you're not wrong. Although there is some hope, we hope to catch up with Alan from Carlo Weather at some point later in the week. Not available to us today. Uh, there is some possibility of an improvement towards the back end of the weekend. So maybe by this day week, we should start to see some... God, let's hope to goodness we start to see some improvement in the weather. Hopefully. we catch up with, with Alan maybe later in the week. 1850 715 Oh, Alan, I was talking with yourself for a second. Yes, there's a, we, we talked about this before. Uh, Green Rebel Group 
are to conduct aerial surveys into our ecology. A new specialist aircraft has arrived now at Cork Airport to carry out this mission. Part of a project to establish Cork Harbour as a green energy hub. If you're wondering what all that's about, then the person on the line can tell me. It's Sarah Kendrell, Head of Aerial Surveys with Green Rebel Group. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. Hi, PJ. Thanks very much for having me on. Delighted. Tell me a bit about this uh, project. Yeah, so what we do is we do aerial marine ecology surveys, and this is for uh, the offshore renewable energy industry. Um, So our data that we collect is to support the consenting process um, and to make sure that wind farms are are built in places that essentially aren't disturbing our uh, our marine habitat. Because there's a lot more wind farms going up now and a lot more wind farms planned for the future. So, so... And we were only talking about wind farms last week on the programme with, with various interest groups and stakeholders. You've got to be very careful where you put these. They're of huge value, but you've got to be careful where you put them. That's right, absolutely. And, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure that they're sited in the best location so that they're not interfering with, uh, for example, important um, seabird breeding grounds or marine mammal breeding grounds. And so we're collecting information about, I suppose, where all these species where they where they live where they where they feed where they breed um, so that we can make more suppose, informed decisions about about siting these projects talk to me about the aircraft is it all fancy does it have loads of cameras or what happens yes yes um you can't wipe the smile off my face this week after seeing it arrive in cork because we've been waiting for months and months and um, to have very sophisticated sophisticated camera systems installed and um, so this uh all of this was installed at diamond in austria who are the manufacturer of the aircraft mm. um, and we've built a bespoke system that will basically allow us to generate very high resolution imagery of the ocean surface and yeah. um, so we're flying at 1800 feet or let's say about a half a kilometer above the ocean surface and we're getting imagery where we can see things as small as two centimeters on the ground yeah, even wow. small seabirds on, on the surface of the ocean. And we just got our very first imagery in from last week um, and we were able to see a number of basking sharks off the coast of Cork. So it was really incredible to see. I'd love to see some of them photographs. And, and how big is the plane? Um, so it's a four-seater. Um, it's a twin engine. Um, so it's not as big as what you might be used to going off on holiday. Hmm. Um <laughs> it's uh, it's fairly tight inside, um, but we've got two pilots, and then we've got a camera operator at the back, um, and they basically make sure that the the incoming imagery is uh, of of the the quality that that we want to take in, and it's got a massive nose on it. Um, we call it Gonzo now um, because all the camera equipment are housed in the nose pod, and it's not just the cameras, but we have a very sophisticated GPS an inertial navigation system in there to make sure that the cameras remain steady um, and a special type of mount to, to make sure that we're minimizing any impact of the blur while the while the plane is flying. So Sarah, so is it is it goes does it go up on, on a regular scheduled basis or it goes up for a specific purpose or what? Yeah, so we, we only fly during daylight hours because we're taking uh, we're taking imagery. We can't fly at night. Um, we're starting off uh, with around 10 surveys per month. Um, we can also do other types of work apart from the marine ecology. So we can um, create, uh, we can do photogrammetry work, which means that we create very detailed models of the coastline. 
3D models of the coastline. And this is important uh, when you're looking at investigating uh, landfall locations for cables. Um, but it's primarily used for marine ecology. And for, for right now, we're flying about 10 days a month. You know, we've got one of the most beautiful coastlines in the world. I'm very jealous of flying over it specifically for the purpose of taking photographs. Absolutely. Actually, so I, I haven't been up in the aircraft yet myself, sadly. I've had my, my aerial surveyors up there, um, but they flew over Ballycotton last week um, and they said it was absolutely magnificent. They came back with some amazing imagery yeah. um, and it was beautiful to look at. And they can see yeah. fish and they can see birds. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're mainly focused on um, marine mammals, bats and sharks, seabirds and also sea turtles. Brilliant. All right, listen, good luck with it. Safe flying to all involved. Hope you get up to see it yourself soon. And wouldn't mind seeing some of those images if they're released because they sound like they're magnificent. That's Sarah Kendrick, Head of Aerial Surveys with Green Rebel Group. Their new plane is in the air, little four-seater with a massive nose. They call it Gonzo. <laughs> the Muppets. Yeah, they call it Gonzo. And it's got all those cameras and it can see a, they can, it can see a board, one board. On the surface of the water from 1800 feet. That's brilliant. 1857 15996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The Cork's 96 FM Giving for Living Radio Thun. Raising money for Cork Cancer Services. Listen Thursday from 6 a.m. on Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Do you know what is um, making me laugh at the moment? Is this story about the Cadbury's mini flake for the 99? Are they not just going to make more? Or could you not just buy a flake and break it in half and stick half it into the ice cream? You'd swear like it was an international health crisis. The way you can't get a flake for the 99. Then again, you could always do it. I've often wondered, could you try it? Could you put a twirl in there into the 99? Speaking of 99s, you know I'm very fussy about the quality of my ice cream. It has to be, actually feel like ice cream, right? Not this old horrible sugary, creamy stuff that feels half greasy. That's not, that's not ice cream. That's not ice cream. Ice cream is supposed to be firm and, and have ice, feel like it's got ice in it. The, the clue is in the title. There's a shop down the end of Balifahan next to the bank. It is amazing. They're doing it the old way. I finally discovered it. Because I had a place up the north side that I used to go that we lovely ones, but they're gone. They're doing the creamy stuff now. Um, I'm looking for a proper icy ice cream. But with the shortness, shortage of the 99, the flakes, could you use a, use a twirl instead? Or would I be committing sacrilege if I used a twirl instead? 1850-715-996. That story about ransomware. Uh, I'm told that the first ever ransomware on record happened in the late 80s, in around 1988. The fellow involved was a guy called Pop. 
I'm grateful to Fergal Barry for researching this for me. He was a bit disaffected with life. And he sent out a floppy disk. Ask your dad. They're not around anymore. He sent out a floppy disk to insurance companies and other such institutions. And the floppy disk is sent out the post, like, in the post. And it had a label on it. And the label said AIDS, which at the time in the late 80s made it big news. What's that floppy disk in the door? Presumably with a little covering letter and all that. AIDS. So a floppy disk was a bit like a, a CD square one and you put it in. It's like it barely held a couple of documents, but they put it into the... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Computers and the label said AIDS. And when they put it into the machine, they discovered it was a kind of a quiz. And at the time, AIDS was just the biggest health scare in the world ever. So there was a quiz on it that you could do this quiz and see what was your chances of getting AIDS. Innocuous enough. So most people said, oh, great. That's 10 minutes of my life I'm not getting back. Did their quiz, got their result took out their floppy disk and put it on a shelf or put it under the coffee, as people used to do with these things, and took no notice. (laughs) Until two weeks later, they couldn't get into the computer. The hard drive was mashed, mangled, and they got a message to send $150 to a post office box in Panama. Literally send it like a check or something. Uh, now, eventually, they found out that it was this guy, Pop, and they traced it back to him, and he he was an AIDS researcher, and he was really annoyed with insurance, because at the time, insurance companies wouldn't cover you for AIDS. So that was his revenge, and the drugs companies wanted massive money for AIDS drugs, so that was his revenge. There you go, that's what... 1988? 
The story itself is weird, but how he finished up in life is weirder again. 1850-715-996. Now, so many people working from home at the moment, and we hear more and more about the moving back to the office. They're, they're saying that about 80% of people will be back in their offices before the end of the year or early next year at the latest. And there's a survey out today. I don't know the exact details of it, but there's quite a number of people who actually want to stay at home. There's been a huge change uh, in women in particular who work from home. Uh, their organisation of their time so they can work from home, manage the children, do their school runs. And over the last 12, 15 months, people have gotten themselves into a pattern. And it's a pattern that suits them and they can get their work done. And they can take care of the children and they can look after the necessary things you have to do around the home. And they're into a routine now. And I think there'd be a fear out there that that routine would be interrupted and broken and it actually suits and it actually works and everyone's happy. The boss is happy because you're getting the work done. The kids are happy because you're there. Blah, blah, blah. But that might all be about to change. And Karen O'Reilly is from Employ Mum, Employ Flex. Hi, Karen. Good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. And a lot of people who said that they'd never be able to settle has actually settled and they're happy out and they don't really want to go back to the office. That's so true, PJ. Yeah, And we've spoken to many of our candidates and many of our colleagues who say exactly the same as you've said there, that they have um, realised, both employees and employers, that your remote work can work. And, you know, I suppose we have been working from home at the moment in the last 16, 18 months um, under the guise, under a, a, pandemic, a pandemic situation, uh, which is not ideal. And, you know, we've been at home with our family, with our, our, our um, all the other distractions that are happening at the same time. But, you know, when we go back to inverted commas normal, uh, remote work will be a lot easier because we won't be working under the stress and strain of a pandemic, you know. So we should be looking forward now to a future that is a lot brighter um, where, you know, employers are hopefully more flexible because they've seen that remote work can work. Some employers, though are only too anxious to get people back into the office. It's a kind of a control thing. They, they, they think you're not working unless they can see you. That's going to be a problem for some people who have gotten very comfortable at home, delivering their deadlines, delivering their tasks. They're going to face pressure. Absolutely. And that is a fear with a lot of employees. As you say, they, they've gotten used to working from home and they've, they've proven that they can be just as productive working from home. Uh, and we talk, we've spoken to clients who just can't wait to get everybody back in the office. But, um, I Do think, they you say know, why, Karen? Well, well, I suppose it depends on the industry. Um, you know, some industries do lend themselves more easily to remote work and working from home. While others are, it's, it's more of a challenge, I suppose. So if you were talking to an engineering company, for example, and everybody's working from home, it, it is more of a challenge to get everybody together to collaborate on a project. You know, the machinery is in on site. Whereas if you're talking to, for example, an accountancy firm, um, it is quite easy for them to, to, for everybody to work remotely. Everything can be done on the computer. You can mm. communicate via Zoom. You can meet your clients on Zoom. You know, so that is quite uh, um, easy to do. So, yeah. so it is more challenging for some industries. Um, yeah. But I suppose the main thing is, is that employees want this going forward. Yeah. Um, every survey that we've done and every survey that has been done at the moment is showing that there is a huge appetite now for for remote working and for working from home. 
And, you know, I suppose looking forward, we are looking at a hybrid solution. Yes. Where people are working from home some days and working in the office some days. And I think that solution is the one that's going to work the best for both employees. There is a survey that's out. As I said, I only heard about it in the morning news. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm sorry if I don't have the exact details. But there's a huge support for a kind of a three and two mix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what we're hearing uh, from both clients and, and from employers and employees that um, that is what is going to work going forward. So that you would go in maybe on a Monday, set up mm-hmm. for the week, work from home Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, go in on Friday so, as if it were to debrief. As an example, yeah, exactly, yeah. And so you have that time in the office to collaborate with your with your um, teammates and also also we're human beings you know we do like to socialize we do like to meet other people and have the chats and and the social side that's really important as well and even though we've gotten really good at that on zoom etc um it's not the same as meeting people in person when you have that physical connection and you have that uh you know uh, collaboration together you know getting everybody into a room there's nothing like it really for for brainstorming and getting work done you know are there there's a question come in on the phones are there insurance issues working from home there are actually, yeah, and um, basically, you, any employer who, is, who has employees work from home should check out with their insurance company to make sure that they um, that they are covered. Um, you should also, the, in fairness, the government have, have come up to the bar on this, and they've um, they've issued remote work guidelines for companies. So you can look them up on their site, and you can do a risk assessment on your employees' place at work at home mm. um, to make sure that basically it's a, it's a cover your arse exercise, really. Yeah. But, you know, it, it does need to be done um, so that you are covered in the eventuality of something happening to your employee while they're working yeah. from home. So. Is there a case for the reorganisation of society a small bit here, Karen? Like, look, I know they seem to be looking at it in France. Like, you have... Most people start work at nine, but they're children. Mm-hmm start school, attend to. There must be some way to reorganise either the working day or the school day. Well, PJ, we have been saying that for years. Um, You know, so look, when we talk about flexibility in the workplace, um, that doesn't mean huge gestures. That may may not mean huge gestures. It could just mean letting your people come in at half nine, you know, and so letting them drop off their kids to school so they don't have that additional stress running around trying to organise all of that and be in work for Mm. half eight, you know which is absolutely ridiculous, you know. And so there's I, a concept as well. Of, I, 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 I coined this phrase a few years ago, but I think it's now an official one. It's my own personal choice of words. A task-based day. Mm-hmm. So, like, you are working for someone and you have six things to get done today. Mm-hmm. Six priority things to get done today. As long as you get those six things done and finished in time for the deadline... Sure, does it matter if you're doing them at half six in the morning in your pyjamas? Absolutely, totally agree with you. And that, that's been our message all along, is that people should be measured on results, not the amount of time they're sitting in the office, you know. So presenteeism is a dirty word as far as we're concerned because we're all about flexibility. Mm. And, you know, this is what used to happen in the past. The, the person who stays in the office the longest gets the promotion and is deemed to be working harder than the person who leaves at five o'clock. But that's not necessarily true. The person who leaves at five o'clock might have done those six things excellently, mm. whereas the other person who's staying later is just, you know, Time looking at Facebook or something, you know. Yeah. So I suppose, that, I suppose a few positives have come out of COVID, really, um, you know, and that is that employers are more open to flexibility, they, you know. Um, the employers realise that, you know, we, we have a life outside of our work and family is, is very important as well. 
Mm-hmm. And the values and the culture of organisations are really being brought to the fore now as well. So, you know, these are, these are good things that are coming out of COVID. And I said, looking forward to the future of work, yeah. hopefully we'll all be working smarter and we'll all be a lot more happier when we're yeah. at work. You What's know? that old saying? Work, work smarter, then you won't have to work harder. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so look, I think, you know, the companies who, who adopt these policies and who really listen to what their employees want, they're the ones who are going to get the best talent and they're the ones who are going to, to shine in the future. You know, so I think mm. companies should really be looking at this and, and, the, and a huge part of this is, is getting feedback from your employees. Yeah. What do you want? What's going to work for you? Obviously, it has to work for the company as well. You know, the bottom line is really yeah. important. The drawback but, with the task thing just, and again, I suppose you've come across this, is right, I have my tasks, I'll get them done. And we mentioned six, but there's a danger that you'll be taken for granted and it'll be 16. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. yeah. You have to pace yourself there in that, in that instance. Yeah. But your boss will realise that, that Karen can do, oh God, she can have all that done well and truly within her, within her given day. Let's load more on her and more on her. and more. Before you know it, Karen is knackered from, being, from working every hour God sends at home. I suppose that's the danger if you are a very diligent worker. But I suppose, look, the main thing is that there is a two-way conversation going on all the time and that employers are listening to their employees um, and what they, they want in, in the workplace, you know, okay. right. uh, so that everybody is, is happy. And then your staff attrition rates will go down, productivity will go up. It's, it's been, you know, it's been proven that that will happen in the future. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Karen, from Employment. 1850-715-996. It is the future, and you now have legal right, and there's legislation going through. You have a legal right to ask your boss to let you work from home part or full time. Your boss has a legal obligation to work with you to try to find out what's best for you and best for them. And that's come out of the pandemic, and it's not a bad thing. Uh, that Yeah, that's the second, thank you, that's the second annual National Remote Working Survey. 95% of workers now favour, this is according to the survey, now favour some form of remote working. Less than 5% of them want a full-time return to the office. Now that's number, I wouldn't have taken them as being that high, but 95% face favour some form of remote working. The number of employees who want to work solely from home has almost tripled in the past year. Wow, that's 12% a year ago to 32% now. Uh, most organisations, three quarters in fact, haven't yet decided what will happen when the pandemic ends with their various teams. And of the quarter of them who have actually made a decision, most of them will operate some kind of a hybrid model with their workers, um, where you'll work part at home and part in the office. Um, and many of them would expect employees to be on site maybe two days a week, and uh, 23%, that's nearly a quarter as well, requiring them to be in the office presence, what, three days a week. So it's it's happening but slowly. Graham Manning was tweeting in the last couple of days about special school places and the need for more of them. Graham, good morning to you. 
Morning, PJ. How are you getting on? Good. I just have this conversation in the context of the recent announcement from the Taoiseach, um, which uh, we'll, we'll just remind ourselves of what he said in around a month ago now. So a new provision would see a new special school in Carrigaline with about 48 school places. Uh, and also then St. Mary's Special School in Rochestown uh, will have a change of designation to cater for children with a dual diagnosis of learning disability and autism with 12 new school places for September 2021. Uh, and priority will now be given to those children who currently do not have an offer um, of a school place for next September. Education is a passion of mine, and particularly special education. I don't want families to go through what they have gone through um, to date. It's not acceptable that families don't know, you know, in, in, in good time that they have places, appropriate places um, for their children. But this deals, I think, comprehensively with the situation for September. And I've also worked with the Minister in, in relation to the longer term in terms of securing additional land for, for construction for special education schools into the future. So a good start, Graham, I would say, but you're saying more needed. Uh, well, to be honest, there's a whole bunch of that that just isn't true. It's just factually not true or deliberately, misre- deliberately or un- un- not deliberately, I'm not sure, misrepresenting what actually happened. And um, to say that it deals with the issue for September is complete nonsense. Um, I got two emails from parents this morning who haven't got any place. Now, I'm not talking generally my area I work in is um, special classes as opposed to special schools, but it applies across the board. In relation to the school in Carrigal Line, the bit they don't mention is they made a growing primary school homeless in order to find a building for that special school. And they gave them 24 hours notice that they were doing it. Isn't it a girls' school that's moving anyway? They have a temporary accommodation at the moment. They were meant to move into uh, their new, supposedly forever home, in September, they, as part of a growing school, they had also um, started a new uh, special class as part of their school. Didn't have to be compelled, unlike other schools. They were, you know, doing what they should be doing. And um, that building was taken off them and has now been turned into a well, special see, school. The, thing is great, the parents that I was dealing with around the time are ecstatically happy because they've all gotten sorted. What, like, what else are they supposed to do? There was, an, there was a place about to, be, about to become vacant. They took it and they're it going to... It wasn't about to become vacant. It was about to be occupied by a growing primary school. Going to, which is, is going to a new campus. They, that was going to be their new campus. It isn't now. They don't have a home now. There they is a whole new campus being built in Carrigaline. That's the whole point. And that building was going to be occupied. But now again, this isn't the actual special schools in my area expertise. This isn't specifically what I can yeah. about. But, but I'm happy to chat okay. about it. Yeah, but, again, okay, well, move this, on. What, what specifically do we need? In relation to uh, what well, the idea is generally, in re- generally, well, look in area, the area I work in, um, special classes. There are no one near enough. It's that simple. School refuses to set them. The minister for education has the authority to. Compel schools to open yes. special classes. We've talked about that before. Would, Richard Bruce brought that back no in. Brought that in. Who deserves a space yeah. or needs a place doesn't get one. Yeah. The minister so far, uh, her predecessor has used that authority twice. That would be Joe McHugh. He, uh, in both times, he used it in the last week and the last day of school in June in the last previous two years. Um, ordering schools to set up primary schools. The first time was only in Leo Varadkar's constituency in South Dublin just before an election. I'm sure those things weren't associated at all. And last year was just in South Dublin in primary, all of those in primary schools. Not for a second saying all those special classes weren't desperately needed, Mm. but secondary exists. The needed secondary is more acute than primary. And the country outside of South Dublin exists. Mm. 
and current occupant of the office. So obviously, I've been you know, uh, quite happy to take a dig off both parties because previously it was Fianna Kinn, now it's Fianna Fáil. Now, Norma Foley has that authority and it is, what, May 18th and it hasn't been used. Yeah. So if it's going to be used, it's going to be done at last minute again. Yeah. And I would be very surprised if it's used. This is something that Richard school. Richard Bruton brought in when he was minister. No, where, Mr. Where, Richard Bruton fought tooth and nail to make sure it was not a thing. Mr. Richard Bruton, a Fianna Gael, brought was it in, forced though. into a corner and compelled to do this against their will. Mm-hmm. And that's, so that's what speaking mean, of someone who was involved in writing of the legislation and yeah, a fair yeah, bit yeah. of the lobbying. I sat in meetings where I... So how would we improve the situation? How would we improve the situation? Um, well, look, ideally, there should be plans going... Right now, Norma Foley should use her authority across the country in both primary and both secondary. Is it incredibly late notice? It is. This should have been used mm. at the start. It, every school should have about 18 months' notice that yes. this is going to happen. Yes. So that there's lots of training. The power is there, but it's not being used. Yes. And that way, you can use the power, but at least they know 18 months in advance. Or two years, you know, I would prefer longer, but let's say 18 months in advance, that way you can hire Why do you staff. think the power isn't being used? It is the section, the section 37A power to compel schools to open special classes is not being used in anywhere near the scale. But, but do you know why, Graham? They don't have the political will and they don't want to uh, pick fights with um, different principals, uh, different schools, different managing bodies. Mm. Also, they know you open all those classes, it costs money. There's that too. Um, also, their um, advice, and that comes from the National Council of Special Education, who up until very, very recently were about to advocate for the abolition of all special schools and special classes. We, we remember that discussion. They pulled back from that. Graham, it's one we'll pick up on again. Certainly the lack of availability is still there and the power not being used is still there. Thank you for that. No other reason other than time. Graham Manning, uh, constantly advocating and campaigning for more classes. I completely agree with the man. That power is there since Richard Bruton brought it in, whether it was kicking and screaming or not, he brought it in. It's never been used or been used only once or twice. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Graham's been on the show with me many, many times. And I agree with an awful lot of what he says. And the idea that you would wait until June or May to authorise a class for September is bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. And that should be May for June 12 months or doing it May for September 12 months. That's the very last or least you should get. So he's completely right on that. The situation with Carrigaline, I'm not going to get into it, but that will be sorted. Uh, I remember it arising the weekend that the Taoiseach made that announcement. There was a a few uh, feathers ruffled, shall we say, around Carrigaline with regard to the school that was supposed to move in there. But I think the general feeling on the ground is, look, lads, you'll be sorted out. The need for these special classes is, is far more urgent right now, but you will be uh, sorted out. But it's ongoing. It's ongoing. 1850-715-996, the number. A uh, couple of things coming in that I want to get to. I, I won't forget that one about the pellet guns. That's a bit worrying. There's pellet guns 
There's a craze for pellet guns, and as always, they're not being used in the kindest way, shall we just say. Mr. Pop, who did the first ever ransomware. Do you remember I told you that back in the late 80s, he sent around a floppy disk to loads of different insurance companies and drug companies. Uh, and the floppy disk had the name AIDS on it, or the word AIDS on it. And when you put it into the computer back then, well, what you got was a quiz that you did for about 10 minutes and to find out how likely you were to contract AIDS because this was in the middle of the whole AIDS epidemic worldwide. You did your quiz and you thought, right, that's 10 minutes of my life that I'm never getting back. And you went on about your business and used the floppy disk as a coffee coaster or whatever you wanted to do with it. And then two weeks later, almost to the day, you couldn't get into the computer or you couldn't get into your files or you couldn't get into what you'd stored. And the message came in uh, to get your to get your files back or to get access to your files back, send 150 bucks to a P.O. box in Canada. That was the first ever ransomware on record. That was Mr. Pop did that. Now, he had planned, he was disenchanted because the insurance companies weren't covering AIDS. If you had AIDS, your health insurance wouldn't cover it. And the drugs were a ridiculous price as well. So he was taking that kind, he was an AIDS researcher. He was uh, arrested, caught, put into a mental institution. That's what happened to him. Uh, for this attempt to bring down all of the various hard drives, he he was spent time in a mental institution. When he got out, this is the queer one. He became a butterfly farmer and a butterfly conservationist, and he set up a butterfly rescue and conservation farm. He's dead, but the butterfly farm is still there. That's the bizarre story. 1850-715-996. Now, Mark Ryan, we spoke to Mark a couple of times over the last couple of months because Mark is one of these people who really, really needed his vaccine uh, because of a lung disease. You got your first one. And Mark, have you got your second one now? Good morning. Morning, PJ. I did. I got the second dose yesterday. What did you get? Pfizer, AstraZeneca? What did you get? Uh, Pfizer. You got Pfizer. So, remind people again of the condition that you have, which is so important that, you, that you've had this. So, I have a rare blood disease. So, basically, my red blood cells don't pick up the oxygen from my lungs properly. So, even though I, I'm breathing normally, I suffer from a low blood oxygen level. So, I'm on supplemental oxygen um, the majority of the time. Right, so you, you carry a tank with you, do you? Uh, well, I, I've got a little machine so that the tanks don't last long enough so to give me a, a bit of freedom, I've got this machine where it, it sucks in air, processes it and sends the, the pure oxygen up to me. Mm-hmm. So where the little tank might last me the bones of kind of an hour, this machine has an eight-hour battery life in it. Oh, and you carry this little thing around with you? Yeah. Oh, wow. I've seen the ones that sit in the corner of a bedroom. Oh, yeah, I have one of them which I'm on by night. And the, the one that I carry around is right. grand for daytime. But by night, when I sleep, um, I need a, a higher uh, level right. of oxygen. Of so I'm on the big one as well. Right, right. Now, until such time as you got your first jab, you'd been locked up for a year pretty much because COVID would kill you. 
Yeah, exactly. So, as I'm sure everyone knows at this stage, COVID is something that affects your blood oxygen levels. And um, because I suffer from a low blood oxygen level on a daily basis anyway, I'd been informed by my doctor that um, right back at the start of it, it was something that I, I shouldn't be um, kind of playing around the edges of. He said, look, you, you need to take this very seriously. I'm advising you to go into isolation and um, I let you know when it's safe to come back out. And at the time, kind of thought, a couple of weeks, throw on a few box sets, whatever, I'll be yeah. friends. Um, and then, of course, everyone counter locked their number one, but uh, there was no actual vaccine at that stage, and numbers were still within the community. So even though kind of everyone had kind of three lockdowns as such, I, I stayed in lockdown number one since day one, um, and I had been crying out for the vaccine in order to give myself some freedom. So what what age you again, Mark? Like 29. 29. So you want to get up and get out there and get on with your life, but you, yeah. you, you couldn't put your nose outside the door. No, I couldn't. Um, and in fairness, not only was my life uh, restricted over the past year. Um, now, I know everyone's was, but uh, it was it was frightening to not have any let up at all. But m- my family, because I, I live with my, my parents, they had to be extremely careful as well. So it's, it's been um, a huge relief to, to, to get both doses of the vaccine now. Um, it, it's just that I was a little bit like I, I was never looking for the freedom to go to wild parties or anything. No. I just wanted the freedom to be able to say I'm, I have peace of mind um, and not be worried and stressed constantly mm. and be able to have some form of normality in my life again. Yeah. Well, at your age, and given the fact that you now must wait, is it, is it a week or two weeks after your second dose? You're going to have the bones of, I think it's 80 to 90% resistance. Yeah, that's what they said to me yesterday. Right. So they said uh, it's somewhere between a week and two for it to fully kick in. So uh, they said, look, hold off another week um, if you can. I said, I- I've waited this long. I'm sure I can wait a week yes. longer. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's 80 to 90% um, yeah. covered. So our, our, our friend John Campbell, who joins me on the programme quite frequently, has been you know, analysing the age data. And in your age group, if you're otherwise healthy, bar this thing with your blood, yeah. You'll have 80 to 90% resistance, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, so, what's the first thing you want to do? <laughs> uh, well, I, I'd love the weather to clear up because I, I'd love to get out to Fota um, yeah. just for a wander around, have a bit of freedom outside of the house. Yeah. Um, but what I'm really looking forward to is indoor dining to open so I can take mother for afternoon tea. Oh, yeah. She got her first one yesterday, did she? She did, yeah. She had her first one yesterday when I was getting my second one. Um, and she's on the Pfizer as well, so she has her date for four weeks' time for the second dose. How, how are you feeling? Any any old sore arm or fevers or whatever? Uh, woke up this morning lying on the side that I had got the vaccine on, so like if someone gave me a bit of a punch in the arm, all right. But uh, other than that, no, no side effects. All right. Well, good luck to you. And here's hoping you can get out really, really soon. Mark, thank you very much. That's Mark Ryan. We've been following his story for the last couple of months. Chronic blood disorder, which means his blood can't store oxygen like you or me. So he constantly has to have oxygen with him. And even the mildest dose of COVID could kill him. Now he's got his vaccine. And in a week or two, he can go out and do a simple thing like go to Fota or... When they open, he can go to a restaurant and bring his mom for dinner. I mean, that is such a such a great thing for him. 1850-715-996. Right, let's get back to the HSE ransomware attack next. 
can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. This week on the show, I'm teaming up with Morin's Mega Jam. I've got gorgeous hampers of goodies to give away if you can crack the one second song. I'll have all your latest Cork traffic updates, the biggest tunes guaranteed, and some juicy showbiz interviews too. Right behind me, I had Steve Carell, and then over to my left, oh my god, that's Clint Eastwood. For that and loads more, I'll talk to you weekdays from four. The big drive home. Let's go business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96 FM. We spoke with Bruce Schneier of Schneier on Security. We spoke with Ronan Murphy of Smart Tech and we spoke with Dr. Simon Woodworth at UCC about just how serious this is and, and where we go from here. 24 hours on this looks like it's going to cost tens of millions to repair and to protect against future attack, which is what Bruce Schneier was saying. You get it repaired, you get it sorted, and then you make sure to protect against them getting in again, because if you don't protect, they will get in again. And Simon Wood was telling us about the amount of money that should be spent. Uh, Declan Power, uh, Independent Security and Defence Analyst, now joins me. Declan, good morning. Good morning. What we certainly have had exposed in the last 24 hours of reading and studying and taking all this in is that our protection is woefully inadequate. Well, yeah, it's it's inadequate, yeah, definitely, uh, on a number of levels, and that's the important thing to take out of this. Um, at the moment, we're very much fixated on the HSE and the Department of Health and the damage limitation, and you know, we're we're down at the tactical level there. I mean, the, it, it, most of the commentary is about uh, the files that have to be saved and the encryption process, and uh, that's as it should be at this point. But in the great scheme of things, we need to also look at the broader operational management of this at state level and our strategic uh, focus. And I think we are lacking. That's where we are particularly lacking. I mean, obviously, people that are more uh, cyber tech focused and qualified will comment about the, uh, the other matters. But the question arises as to uh, what happened when the HSE and the ESB were penetrated by a hostile uh, entity in 2017. What sort of... Uh, uh, Changes were made at strategic level in terms of interpreting threat to this nation, uh, in terms of how to combat uh, hostile um, acts against this nation. And we're, you know, the, the, the battle space is not just land, air, and sea. It's in the cyberspace. It's in the public space. It's in the cognitive space. And how configured are we to to respond to that? And I would say we're not because all of our uh, primary organs of state uh, security are. Uh, Siloed. Uh, so you have four different key uh, elements that have four ki- different key departments and four different ministers. Um, if you look at our nearest neighbours or if you look at a, a sister state like New Zealand in terms of its configuration, mm. political stance and, and etc., and indeed budgetary resources, they ha- their uh, National Cyber Security Centre comes under the umbrella of one of their state intelligence and security agencies. So there's a much clearer line of communication uh, they're under the umbrella of an entity that is well-established 
and well mm. fortified in terms of uh, budget. Like, Whereas our National Cyber Security Centre comes under the Department of Communication. Mm. It's not properly budgeted. It has some highly expert people in their field, but they need to be working in conjunction with military intelligence experts and indeed intelligence experts within the Gardaí. I would argue that this is a, it, it's, it's a defence type role in many respects, but I wouldn't see our Department of Defence being the type of department that should run it as they they're going through their role. They, they're they're being gradually dragged screaming and roaring into the uh, 20th century and time for the 21st. Uh, you know we need a new approach, and I would argue that the there should be a, a national security minister and department at this stage, or beef up in fact the national security analysis centre and give us the power, authority, and budget to be able to co and the expertise mm-hmm. to coordinate this type of uh, scenario. Now your your background, Declan, is 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 military, so. Well, you're talking about we would have like that a national, if you want, a national security authority who would take military advice, who would take cyber security advice, who would take and, and well, it come well, under just, a government department. Yes. Well, let's just look at what happens in other countries that take a grown up approach to this. Uh, you would have a national security entity that uh, is able to that, that has a, a regular staff. A proper, a properly constituted director, a proper remit and, and authority, and then it can also have secondments from the military, from the police, from the different government departments. So you have a mixture of expertise, and these people will come for a period. But it wouldn't be all just them. You would have a core staff that would work within that as well, that would be focused on the mission of that entity. But by doing it in that way, you would have a means by which you would communicate and percolate down. Uh, mm. policy and strategic awareness to all the relevant organs and you would have ability to suck up the relevant information from all of those as well in a non-siloed way and that would be communicated effectively, efficiently and directly to the decision makers, to primarily on Taoiseach. So that could, as NSAC comes under the uh, the the remit of the Department of Antishuk, I, I would be saying that NSAC, you know, we need to see it on the pitch, you know. Yeah. It's uh, still pulling together its white paper. It still doesn't have an office. Uh, but we need to. It doesn't be have thinking. a chief exec. No, it doesn't. Well, it does. Sorry, it does. Dermot Woods. Not. I don't want to confuse the National Security Analysis Centre with the National Cyber Security Centre. Ah, okay, well, that's my, the one. My problem. My problem with the National Cyber Security Centre is that it is largely in splendid isolation from the Gardaí and from the Defence Forces uh, military intelligence uh, area. There, there were officers from Angarda Shiakana and the Defence Forces yeah. who did uh, sit within it in some sort of an observational role. But I don't think that's even the case at the yeah. moment. And the thing is, you need, for just to go back, we'll say, to cyber security. That's just one of many different areas where threat is emanating. Um, that needs to be coupled with people who aren't necessarily cyber experts but who are national security experts mm-hmm. and who can put things into context, who can then maybe put cyber security experts on notice of threats emanating that yeah. from areas that they mightn't have been aware of and thought of. Right. You have to horizon scan effectively. You like to think in a modern society that once Paul Reed realised what was going on at four o'clock the other morning or whenever time he got word that there is somebody there that he opens up his phone and he goes, uh, so-and-so, John, John, we have a situation. Is that it? You, you put it in the hands of one person, we have a situation, and all hell breaks loose. Well, Do we have that? No, because, you see, the point you're making is very valid. Uh, it, it depends. It, they, have a, they had a situation that was emerging as a, a, a cybersecurity 
breach. But this has been, this as now I think all your listeners can judge, is far more than just a breach of an entry. This is a, this is a national security matter. This is the equivalent of a, of a, like if a bomb had gone off in the centre of Dublin, it wouldn't be doing as much damage to this state and to people's lives as this attack has and will do to our citizens. Uh, it, it, just because there's been no blood or mayhem, it probably hasn't caught our public imagination. But it will. It, it'll bite uh, over the next year. When, yeah. uh, it, and believe me, it, it is going to be over the next year. It's not going to be over the next few weeks. I have no doubt, though, uh, on, on a positive... Like, we will be able to fix we, the we computers, presume. Yeah, well, we will be... I think in a matter of weeks, the the, the, par- the relevant purpose, HSE and, and health, will be functioning. Mm. Uh, but but the long... You know, there will be damage done that will have degraded capacity. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and that's... And, and so we need to take this... Like, you might never get the data back. Like, we, we, we know that in, in, in the States, for example, in parts of the States, they just ended up paying the ransom because they couldn't get at their data. Yeah, and there, therein is the question about how how do you do that? Uh, you need a, a, peop, a, a people with a suite of expertise that can negotiate, that are used to uh, negotiating within the cultural landscape that deals with cyber criminals. It's not you know one size fits all. Um, when I served with the UN in Africa, uh, particularly in in, in Sudan, uh, there were there were kidnap situations that arose. And there were national governments. They would send a team out. They would get involved. Uh, some of them would negotiate settlements. But they would do it in very subtle ways. Mm. Sometimes it wouldn't be a straightforward ransom. And it would be done over a period. They wouldn't, you know, experienced negotiators in those matters will not give away the keys straight away. But the question then also is the reputational damage. We're not a company. We're not a corporate entity. We are a state with a certain level of reputation. And... If we started to negotiate and didn't do it right, did it clumsily, didn't have, didn't hire in the necessary people with the right expertise mm. to handle that, uh, we a wouldn't necessarily get back what we wanted. We'd have wasted money. But b, probably more importantly, the international community would look with horror, even though there'd be duplicity here. But they would look with horror at us if, if it got out that we did it. Now, the are there question- any circumstances, Declan? And I know you'll have to answer this question very, very carefully indeed. Are there any circumstances in which we may have absolutely no choice here but to pay up? There are, yeah. It could, it, it, it could come to pass that uh, the paying up might turn out, or paying up in part. You see, this is the thing to, to bear in mind. Um, you know, you wouldn't be paying for everything. Or you would you, you negotiate. And these people have an awareness because they've done their estimate. They've done their estimate of us. And they have an awareness of what our capacity is uh, for pain and, uh, and, and what will make us sit up and take notice. That's why they hit us, where they hit us, when they hit us. Coming out of a pandemic, hitting our uh, HSE, uh, they've gotten maximum attention. And uh, the question is, what would, we be, you know, what would the benefit be? Uh, would it be worth negotiating a settlement uh, in order that there wouldn't be a data dump? I, I, I don't know enough about that particular area. But well, there I, are experts I, saying this morning now that certain chunks of data appear to be on the dark web. That's worrying. It, it wouldn't surprise me. But then it's worrying depending on how you, uh, you frame this. And that's another alternative is, let, let's stand back a little bit and think about it. Okay, but look, you know, this is if we if we look at this, it's like the pandemic and the effect on us. It's all to do with how you, as an individual, or how you, as a society, uh, frame the situation, and you can see it in a completely disastrous way, or 
are, are, are not so disastrous. Like, how much difference will it make to an ordinary individual uh, if that in, uh, information is dumped on the dark web? That, that, that's a question. I don't have an answer to that. I, I just answer it from my own perspective. You know, uh, if, if you know my medical information, I uh, had, had uh, some serious illness myself in, in, in years past. Um, <clears throat> would I care? Personally, I don't think I would. Um, you know, I mean, you, you'd need to have a certain level of medical knowledge to even make sense of that kind of data. But on the other hand, mm. would it leave the state open to uh, liability, legal liability, if something wasn't done about it? And then there, there's another question is, well, maybe the state isn't open to liability because <clears throat> if it's a judge that this is an attack that one couldn't be entirely protected against, yeah. like, just like a terrorist attack then a state can't be held liable yeah. for the, the damage done in that. So there's, I want to wind just back to a, a, an earlier point that's relevant to us here. The thing is, we need to have a whole new discussion at policy level and uh, thought level about how we uh, respond and how we try and prepare ourselves and how we try and avoid these situations. And what I'm saying is we need to we need to start to look at ourselves in terms of threat the same way they did. Like this organisation, the, uh, the, the, this organised crime group that's composed of people a lot of whom would have had expertise learnt at a state level they're not a gang of, of, of leather jacketed thugs uh, while they undoubtedly might have a few that work for them they, they're highly educated highly trained people who most likely worked in state security services both within the cyber realm and more importantly within the national security realm so there were people who would have analysed Ireland You know, they would have analysed a number of states around Europe to uh, see both in terms of technical ability to get into their system, but then in terms of the consequences of that. And so we need to start looking at ourselves uh, from the perspective of potential assailants and see where our, the chinks are within our army, not just in the cyber wor- world and not just within uh, conventional defence areas. Where are the other weak points within our structure that can be uh, maximised against Mm. us? And that takes a national security strategy to do that. Do you believe it's possible to get through this in whatever way that we do? And like you said, like you said, we may end up may end up having to do a deal because nobody wants to, but you may end up having to do a deal. Is there a way to get through this and then shut the the door and make sure no one ever gets in again? Uh, No, there isn't. There's a way... there may be a way to do a deal that solves the problem now, but uh, you know we'll never. That's like um, saying is there a way to prevent against emergency or storm damage, and that that'll never happen again. No, eternal vigilance is the price you pay to protect your citizens, and it is the least that the citizens of a state like ours can expect their government to be attempting to do. Okay, okay, Declan, leave it there for now. Thank you very much. Most enlightening. That's Declan Power, Independent Security and Defence Analyst. I think we are realising now just how damn serious this is. And you know, look, data on the dark web, you can be terrified of it or you can care nothing about it. But like, what if, and don't tell me this can't happen because it can, what if data gets into the hands of someone who might blackmail you because you had a certain sexual proclivity and you ended up getting maybe a sexually transmitted disease and it's in your medical records and no one else knows about it, but the blackmailer will know about it. Or someone who, you know, you might have lied about your health to get a particular job, well, they've got you over a barrel there. Or they might sell on information to brokers that will work with actuaries and drive up insurance costs for 
thousands of people. Data can be washed and manipulated and used in many, many different ways. It would frighten you what they can do. And, oh, my file's got nothing interesting in it, so who cares if it's on the dark web? Well, that might be your attitude, but it mightn't be somebody else's. And we don't know what file might be out there, how much they can see, what they can get at. Is it personalised? Is it anonymised? Is it... We don't know. We are in deep manure here. Deep, dark, thick, smelly cyber manure. And we're not going to be out of it for quite a while. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Sorting out your shopping today, a 300 euro voucher for Aldi could be yours and all the biggest tunes to fly you through Tuesday afternoon. See you straight after the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Got this uh, earlier on on the phone, and I apologise, I haven't had a chance to read it out just now. In the Meadows last Friday, not too sure where the Meadows is, but in the Meadows last Friday, there were kids at a birthday party, a pod from one class. They were chased by young fellas firing pellets One guy got hit in the head. One got hit in the arm by pellets. The kids were so intimidated they didn't say anything to their parents until yesterday. Someone has to say something about this. It's going on in other places too. All across the north side we hear. Pellet guns are being sold in town and the parents know that they have them. That was a great distress call we got earlier on this morning. Kids were so scared and so intimidated by this pellet gun user that they didn't tell anybody until yesterday. Kids obviously noticed the child, or the parents obviously noticed the child had a sore arm or something. How did that happen? Um, pellet guns are big crazy. They come back from time to time, pellet guns. Does it take someone to be badly hurt before we do something about it? If, if you have a pellet gun, be aware of the fact that your children may not use it for what you're hoping they'll use it. 1850-715-996. There is a lovely book just come out by a fellow called Conor O'Brien called Life in Ireland and it's a history of life on this little rock that we call home and it's diverse to say the least and he goes back centuries in time as to how we've changed from what we were to what we are now Conor, good morning to you Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good, Good to speak to you. You too. Where does this, where does the inspiration to write a book like this come from? Well, I suppose it comes from my own childhood, really, PJ. I've always been interested in prehistoric life, you know, since uh, watching Jurassic Park as a kid and being kind of fascinated by uh, extinct creatures that lived millions of years ago. So I was really interested in exploring uh, that from an Irish context and seeing what creatures we had in our prehistoric past. And um, yeah, it's been a project that's been many years in the making. Uh, but I wasn't disappointed with what I found. Yeah. We were home to woolly mammoths, dinosaurs, you name it, they were here. Very much so, yes. Um, 
in fact Cork has been specifically with the Ice Age uh, Cork has been probably the, um, helped us have a greater understanding of our Ice Age animals uh, more than any other county uh, Castle Pook Cave in the north of the county so that's near Donnerail has been one of the richest sites of um, Ice Age animals uh, to be found anywhere in Ireland so the bones of woolly mammoths the bones of giant deer and the bones of hyenas among many other creatures have all emerged from that cave so it's helped us build up a really, really comprehensive picture of what um, our wildlife was like 35,000 years ago. It paints a strange, or suggests a strange change in our climate as well, because animals we wouldn't associate with our climate were living here. No, absolutely not. So back then, uh, the climate was very, very different. Um, because because of the, one of the consequences of living in an ice age, of course, is that a lot of water is kind of locked up in glaciers, which means there's less water for trees, so you, instead of having like a forested habitat, which is what you would have in Ireland now uh, if the trees weren't cleared away, you had much more of an open grassland. And of course, that was perfect for creatures like woolly mammoths and giant deer, which were predominantly grazers, and also for the, cre- the predators like hyenas, which fed upon them. So it was really, it was a really kind of spectacular um, fauna. It was like its own kind of Serengeti in a way, but with prehistoric giants as opposed to um, the creatures that you see on the Serengeti now. We've all been to the zoo and we've seen hyenas. Mm. We had them in Cork, you tell us. Yes, absolutely. Um, so in Castlepoo Cave in Cork is the only place in Ireland where fossils of hyenas have been found, and as well as some of the bones that they brought into the cave. So if you look at hyenas in Africa today, they make their dens in underground uh, burrows. And um, it seems like the, our Ice Age hyenas did the same, but except in caves. And um, some of the bone, some of the mammoth bones in Castlepook have been found with little dimples on them that were left by the teeth of hyenas, which means that the hyenas uh, probably brought the remains of mammoth bones into the cave to feed on. Crikey. So, really interesting insight into their behaviour. I went on holidays last year up to the coast of County Antrim, up the Causeway Coast, up that part of the world I'd, I'd never seen properly. Place. Incredible place, but incredible history, according to your book. Yes, absolutely. So. Um, What's very interesting about the coast of Antrim from like a prehistoric perspective, it's one of the very few places in Ireland where rocks are exposed from what's called the Mesozoic Era. So the Mesozoic Era is kind of better known as the age of the dinosaurs, so the time when uh, dinosaurs ruled the earth. Uh, the only real place in Ireland where you'll find deposits from that, area ex- from that era exposed um, is in the, on the Antrim coast. And that's why uh, the Antrim coast is the only place in Ireland to have produced bones of dinosaurs as well as other reptiles which lived during that time. Wow. We were 80% forest at one stage, you say? Very true, yes. Um, that's in our, in our recent past. So after the Ice Age ended, um, obviously you had the uh, much greater spreading of forests, and Ireland was covered from forest almost from coast to coast, um, with exceptions such as bogs, obviously, and high mountains. Um, but much of the lowland of Ireland was forested. But tragically, um, a huge um, amount of that has been cleared away over the centuries. That process really kicked off in the 1600s. Uh, from the, between 1600 and 1800, uh, our forest cover fell from about 12% to just around 2%. And um, now, unfortunately, we're one of the least forested countries in the whole of Europe. Yeah. T- taking the story from the very, very beginnings to today, is there a point at which you'd have liked us to stop? very interesting question um a point at which we should have said we're doing harm here stop 
Well, what's interesting about that is it's it's very it's very hard to kind of pass negative judgment on people who lived before us in some ways, PJ, because they really didn't know. I mean, uh, hundreds of years ago, people wouldn't have had the same kind of awareness of ecological issues as we have now. So um, it's like it's very hard, for instance, to you know begrudge farmers uh, in, uh, who lived generations ago who would have been changing their farming practices in a way that might have been detrimental to wildlife because they were just trying to. Uh, get more productivity out of their farm. So, mm. um, Feed their families. Yeah. Yes, exactly. To support their family, I, you can't begrudge them in any way whatsoever for doing that. So it's, it's a really interesting thought, but, I mean, it's, there's, there's really not a whole lot of point in dwelling on it, in my opinion. All yeah. we can do is um, try Remember. to save the wildlife that we have, yeah. and that's no. what a lot of people are doing, which is great to see. Okay. Interesting read. Uh, that's called Life in Ireland, A Short History of a Long Time. Thanks, Connor. Connor O'Brien, published by Marion. And I'm sure it's in all of the good bookshops, which are open again. Waterstones, for example, Easton's, they're all open again. I'm sure you'll find it in Waterstones. Go and ask me, buddy John Breen, he'll find it for you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The drama is sensational. That's 80! Oh, he's done it! It's an equaliser! It's stoppage time! And it's all right here. Grealish for seven! Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. Go, go. The Premier League Live online. With Now. Stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sports with a Now Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Right, it's that time of year again. It's Eurovision time. We put in an old dance mix, just modern it up for the year that's in it. Joined by Paul G. Sheridan of the RT Eurovision team. And our own Dermot Manning, man. Paul, I, yes. you're not actually there now, are you? You're you're at home this year. Uh, we're at home this year, yes. And uh, well, I'm looking after the jury, so they're always in uh, the HQ, you know, like uh, all the other national juries are in their respective uh, TV stations. Mm. So, uh, and sadly, um, even our commentator Marty Whelan won't be there this year. He's doing it from here. Yeah, yeah. So it it is it's happening, but it's so much changed from the last one, which is twenty nineteen. Let's remind yeah. us of twenty nineteen, and as they say, why we are where we are. Now, Dermot Manning, for me, Duncan was the standout of 2019, and he ran away with it. It was brilliant. Great song. We've got nothing like that in there tonight or, or Thursday night, have we? Awesome. Very good. Good evening. Good afternoon, PJ, by the way. Good morning, even. Uh, hello, Paul, as well. Uh, there's some very good songs in this year now, and um, I think there's some very, very good performances as well. Um, tonight, for example, um, I mean, people can look out for... There's a 
great song from this very interesting song from Ukraine actually and a terrific singer from Malta as well Destiny and she would be if she was to win the contest the first time uh, winner of the Junior Eurovision also would win the Senior Eurovision yeah. she won the Junior Eurovision for Malta back in 2015 so um, I thought it was a very good start as a uh, very good singer so far, and a very very good performance from Lithuania at the beginning of tonight's yeah. show as well like called the group so um, there are some very good songs in there Paul I'm a member of the, the Brains Trust as are you and we were looking <laughs> We were looking through it uh, the, the last couple of weeks, and yeah. all of the, I'm reading a survey, all of the various fans associations mm-hmm. around Eurovision Land are really looking at Malta in a big light this yeah. year. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's also, I mean, there's 50 years, I mean, as Paul knows his Eurovision history very well, and he'll tell you that 50 years ago that Malta made their debut at the Eurovision Song Contest right here in Ireland, in the Gay Theatre mm-hmm. in Dublin. Uh, when uh, RT staged the event after Dana's victory in 1970. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be lovely if Malta was to finally, finally win the contest. And she has a very, very good chance. She has a good um, song. She has a great voice. She ticks what I would call, and uh, get your, your, your thoughts on this, Paul. She ticks a yeah. lot of, shall we say, modern boxes. No, she does. Quick listen, quick listen to it. Quick listen to it. That has pop mega hit written yes. all over it, doesn't it, Paul? It does, yes. It's very 2021. And I mean, she is a brilliant performer. Now, let me tell you, PJ, that um, there were uh, three songs last night that had to be performed a second time because of technical glitches. And uh, Malta was one of them. Mm. Uh, but uh, And I had to instruct the jury... Uh, Please disregard the first performances, vote on the second. Uh, but I don't think it really swayed them too much, you know, mm. because, uh, you know, they're listening to the song, they're judging the presentation. Mm. If there are any minor technical glitches, I suppose they just glossed over anyway. So what is the procedure? So we all see yeah. it on television tonight and we yeah. vote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there are 10 places out That's of the right. 16 tonight. And, of course, Leslie Roy is in there performing at number seven. Yeah. So... Yeah. Did, have the juries seen them already now, Paul? They have. They have. They, 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 all the national juries voting in semi one, which is all of the countries participating tonight, plus uh, Germany. Uh, the big six, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's half of the big six. It, Germany, it, Italy, it, it, and it, the Netherlands were also voting last night. Okay. okay. So they, they always vote the night before the, the live programme, and the public vote during the live programme. Right, and then it's ten to ten of the sixteen to qualify. That's now, correct, yeah. Dermot, I'll ask you you in a minute, Paul. But Dermot, do you think Leslie Roy will get out of that that uh, semi final? Well, I just tell you, PJ, I'm I'm accredited as an online uh, journalist this year, and there's an online sort of press centre for those of us that can't make it to yeah. Rotterdam. And the press centre always run a prediction poll uh, for each of the semis and also the final. And I have the, the prediction of the press for the top 10 qualifiers. And unfortunately, Ireland's not one of them. Uh, we're predicted to be 14 of the 16 uh, tonight. 
So I think it's borderline for her, to be honest. Um, I think there, and it's, there's various reasons for that. And um, there's a lot of sort of uh, certain countries that have a very, very strong qualification record, uh, and they're in tonight. So Cyprus, Russia, Ukraine, usually Sweden would usually make it uh, into the final. Azerbaijan is in there as well. So Ireland has that against it. And um, but at that said, you know, it's a very up-tempo performance. It looks great on screen. And mm. uh, Leslie is a terrific performer. Former, but if I put my hand on my on my heart, as it were, I'd say it's borderline. I'd say I, I have to say, it. Paul, I preferred last year's song that she can't did bring you? Yeah. I did, I did. I thought I, I had a better chance. This year, so I have to be honest. And I, and I said it all around the corridors of RTE, so I think Leslie has a better chance with this song than she did with last year's. Last year's, I thought, it was a little bit too clubby, if you know what I mean. And in the last 10 years, or maybe even 15 years, you're getting so much more of that now in the contest and um, that it's becoming a little bit tired. And um, the song, when she came up with Maps, and uh, I listened to it there back in sometime in February, I said, oh, yeah, 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 this one really has something going for it. But then, um, as Dermot says, uh, there's a lot of strong competition tonight uh, with the other 15. And um, I don't think it's going to be a struggle. I think she she will make it to the final. Um, I could actually pick out the six that I think will not get through. That would be easier for me to... Right. Now, you've probably <laughs> seen and heard these songs. I know Dermot yes. and, and yeah. you and me and Ken, our, uh-huh. our pal, we've all had yeah. these songs for weeks now. You've probably yeah. been listening to them more than anybody, Paul, so... Um, not, as, not as much as I would have done in previous years, because, I mean, I just haven't had the time, yeah. but I've, uh, prior to this week, I've listened to them at least maybe four or five times, which mm. is not a, not a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. Dermot, you're, you don't think, you think it's borderline for her, and you think, Paul, she will get out of it. It's going to be yeah. different on many other levels this year. No yeah. huge crowd. No huge crowd. I mean, there's three and a half thousand uh, there in the auditorium. Well, there was, la- uh, they looked as though it was pretty full last night looking at the, uh, uh, the live transmission coming in from Rotterdam into our jury room. Um, but uh, 15 of the 16 performances tonight are live. The Australian entry, they had to use the, the backup performance. Every country had to record a backup performance back in March. Mm. So in the event that they weren't able to travel, that would be used instead and would have to count as a valid performance. Mm. Didn't the chap from Iceland have a COVID scare? Yes, but I think there's been a few COVID scares now, uh, not just Iceland, uh, three other countries as well. Um, I won't go into that here, but um, anyway, they've... um, uh, those that uh, did have the scare did have to go, had to go into isolation until um, the dress rehearsal tomorrow night. Okay, okay, Dermot. Last, last one to you. You think we will? You don't. You, you don't think we'll get out tonight? I, I just think I'm just going on what all my other people and various polls and the betting as well. I think it's usually fairly accurate for Eurovision qualification. And uh, Ireland again isn't. You know, we're not up in that top ten in the betting. If you want to watch, uh, if your listeners want an uh, interesting one to put a, back, a bet on, Austria in the second semi-final. I saw the rehearsal of it there uh, last week. It is fantastic. It's a great singer. It's okay. a Filipino singer as well. And that would be interesting because okay. uh, there's a lot of Filipinos living in Europe that might vote for him. So that okay. might be one to watch. Going to leave it there with you both. Thank you both. That's Dermot Manning and Paul G. Sheridan. Eurovision 2021. Look, if it's your bag, it's your bag. If it's not, you're not. Good luck to Leslie Roy tonight. We'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.